This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips, proven frameworks, and share ways to help you delight your customers. On today's episode, we have Bruce Temkin. Bruce is the co-founder of the Customer Experience Professionals Association, one of the legends in the industry, and we get into some pretty cool stuff here in our conversations, including what is this new term, human experience, and what does it mean? How is it different than the customer experience? He talks about a, a story of a retailer in Australia that was doing thriving, actually. The business was doing great, but he spoke with the two leaders and shares with us the risk of not embedding CX into your discipline. Um, how to prove the return on investment of your customer experience efforts, and a whole lot more. Stay tuned for an awesome show. Well, I am so, so excited to have my guest on the show today, Bruce Temkin. If you've been in the CX world for any amount of time, really, Bruce doesn't need an introduction at all. But for those of you who may not be familiar, Bruce is an experience management or XM visionary and is often referred to as the godfather of customer experience. He leads the Qualtrics XM Institute, which provides thought leadership and training to help organizations around the world, XM, and is also building a global community of XM professionals who are radically changing the human experience. Prior to Qualtrics, Bruce led the Temkin Group, which provided research, advisory and training that helped many of the world's leading brands build customer loyalty by engaging the hearts and minds of their customers, employees, and partners. And I can tell you, I was one of those people who benefited from, from the Temkin Group's early, early work and the research. I think many of us practitioners were thirsty for data to help our businesses make data-driven decisions. And uh, Bruce was on the frontier of that. In addition, he is also the co-founder and chairman emeritus of the Customer Experience Professionals Association, CXPA. So he was the co-founder of our professional association, which now many years later, I sit on the board of, I serve on the board of. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, if not for Bruce, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be serving on the board. Uh, prior to that, he spent 12 years with Forrester Research during the time he led the company's B2B financial services, e-business, and customer experience practices, and was the most read analyst for 13 consecutive quarters. Oh, and by the way, he went to MIT and, and went to the Sloan School of Management. Um, and and um, it was, so let me go ahead just and introduce you. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you. I um, it's it's hard to listen to that that opening. I, I like to say that like I'm, um, all I am is trying to make the world better, um, and whatever I can do to do that, um, I'm in for. That's probably how I would describe myself. That yeah, that's a lot more succinct than what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> but but I love to you know to to share um, you know the background on you're not just saying that you've actually done so much um, in in our 
organization. And I want to I want to kind of hit two levels. One, if you put yourself in the shoes of someone running an organization, a CEO or chief operating officer, um, someone running an organization, why should they even care about what we're about to talk about? And then two is um, there's a new term uh, that you, I know, have um, latched on to, have um, had lifted up, and that's human experience. Mm-hmm. And so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about what that is and why should, pe- should people be aware of it and w- what, what impact it might have on our world. So with that, let me, let me start off um, and ask you, I gave some of your background, and I wanted to just, I, I remembered you telling me at some point I think we, well, I think it was back in Boston at one point where you were sharing that you didn't come up in the CX world. In fact, you went to school for engineering and worked on like submarines and missiles. Is that right? Yep. Yep. I started my career as a design engineer building submarine missile systems. So I actually started off working on a sub rock missile, which was um, a a ballistic um, atomic um, missile. And then worked on tomahawks long before. Now, nowadays, people sort of know tomahawks because mm. they're deployed and you see them bombing everywhere. Um, I was working on them before anyone knew what a tomahawk was. Um, and then somehow I got here. Uh, and so somewhere between then and now, lots of things changed uh, in my direction of my career. And one of the things that I always... I. I'm always amazed thinking about, and especially if I'm talking to younger people about their careers, is that I see there are like two types of successful career paths. Maybe there's more, but I'll I'll broadly describe them as two. There's one, which are the people who know exactly what they want to do and go after. Mm-hmm. The doctors, the lawyers, right? I, I, you know, maybe even the firemen and police, you know, and NBA, like, from, from early on, they know exactly what they want to do. Um, yeah. And that's one path. And that's great. I've, I've never been on that path. I'm still not on that path. I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I still don't. <laughs> um, so my, my path has always been like, all right, if, if I'm learning and growing, it's a good thing. So uh, I'll hunt down opportunities to learn and grow. Um, and that's sort of what led me here. Mm-hmm. Well, since you were since you were the founder of CXPA, um, I had two questions for you around that. What was I know there was an article written way back in the '90s that, that brought up I think it was Lou Carbone that brought up the the, the word used the word customer experience, engineer a customer experience in an article. But what was the state of of CX? Um, was it even a, a, a word when you formed you co-founded the CXPA? So, um, so let me, I, I have to break down the times a little bit, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, when I first started to focus on creating a discipline around customer experience was, was in 2002. Okay. So the CXPA, I think we founded in 2011. Yeah. Um, so in 2002, I was leading, I was a forester. And one of the groups that I led was the, the CRM practice. Okay. And I had seen a ton of deployments around Siebel and other CRM platforms 
that just weren't delivering. Um, and so I wrote a report in 2002, and that, that to me was the uh, quintessential start of the focus, my, my focus, and, I, and I, would, I would argue maybe the, the broad focus uh, uh, anywhere around customer experience is discipline. And the report I wrote was, um, forget about CRM, focus on customer experience. Um, and it was trying to get all of the people that had these mixed agendas that were some about technology, some about improving their organization, some were somewhat about customer experience and say, let's focus on the output we want from all the stuff we're doing. Let's focus on customer experience. And from that point, I did a lot more around trying to describe things. Like I, I, I think I, 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 I'm guessing I was the first one to describe what a voice of the customer program was like. What it was like? Doesn't I? You know, in no way was I the first person to talk about voice of the customer. The first person to do exactly to to start listening to customers or anything like that. Or even I don't even I don't think I I coined the term voice of the customer. But what I did do is put some structure around what that meant. Um, and that's been sort of the essence of what I think I bring to the market, which is um, I tend to see things a little bit earlier than other people. And I structure it in a way that allows people to talk about it. And I think that's, that's what I've tried to bring, like, you know, because people are doing a bunch of things, but you put a name to it called a voice customer program. You say it has these elements to it. And suddenly everyone who's working in and around that can rally and, and share what they're doing. And, and that's the foundation for improvement, right? Um, and so back to, you know, you asked if, if CX existed in 2011, we found the CXPA, Light, in lightweight, it did. There, because by that time, people were starting to associate themselves with a set of common practices. And that really was the, that's the emergence of a profession, right? People start seeing themselves as sharing some common practices. Um, but in, at that point, when we created CXPA, there wasn't enough of that sharing. Um, and for, for me, it was really important that we create a professional association that takes control of our future before a tech vendor does, right? I didn't want customer experience to end up going down the path of CRM where it became too tech oriented. Yeah. Yeah. Make, makes a lot of sense. Um, and uh, so I appreciate the background. It's interesting. I, I learned something. I did not know that history um, of how it all came together. And so grateful. I think we have over 4,000 members now in CXPA and you were involved in some of the, some of the major uh, formative things that the organization has now structurally. So um, thank you for that. Now I would like to switch to a little jump right into pragmatic stuff, if it's okay. Um, and that is first, if I'm, if I'm a CEO of a, of a midsize company out there, it doesn't matter what industry, 
why why do you believe CX can be a brand differentiator for them? So I um I actually wouldn't say it's a brand differentiator. Like I so I I wanna I wanna push up against that, right? Yeah. Because um I think we overly focus on our practice as putting a differentiating layer on what we do. And I, and I think that grew out of a lot of the work around like the experience economy. Um, and so let me talk about the experience economy. For, I think it got yeah. some things right, but I think in some regards, it has misaligned the directions that some of us view the, the whole field in, right? To me, it's not about necessarily how we use what we do to differentiate ourselves. It's how we use what we use, how, how we use the disciplines we create so an organization can better respond to, and understand and respond to the people that are important. And the people important are your key customers, your key employees, your suppliers, right? And so sometimes it's just about how do we understand and respond to them so that we avoid problems, so we avoid issues. Um, yes, some of that stuff can end up being differentiating. But, but the reason I bring that up is I had, um, so I remember pre-COVID, right, um, mm. when, when we were traveling when I, and I was on the road a lot. Um, I was in Australia at one of the biggest retailers in Australia. And this could be, I could have been with anyone. I could have been with Midside Company in, in the Midwest of the US. I could have been wherever, any company. But I was talking to the two leaders of the organization. And they were well known in Australia as being leaders in customer experience. So they already were like considered one of the better around customer experience. They asked me the question, uh, you know, why should we care? They were they actually were being nice enough to sit down with me, um, although they had they felt like there was there was nothing that we were doing or I was talking about that they could use because they're already great and differentiating themselves with customer experience. And I love those. You you, you know me like I I. You know, I love anyone who's going to sit down with me and um, has a contrarian point of view of what I'm going to. So this was already a great start to a discussion for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think I go, all right, let, so you, you're doing really well now. Great. Um, and I ask, okay, thinking a few years out, um, are your customers going to be buying the exact same products? Are they going to be using the exact same channels? Are they going to have the same exact needs? And, and are they going to be expecting the same value prop they have now? And mm -hmm. they said, no, absolutely not. And I said, okay, well, what happens if one of your competitors spots those changes and reacts to them faster? Mm -hmm. Silence. To me, that's what we're talking about. That's what customer experience is. It's, it's about an agility that's based around the needs of human beings. Um, and certainly sometimes it shows up in a differentiated brand, but if we start there, we think like those executives in Australia thought, which is that it's all about just 
in the moment creating some differentiation with our customers. Um, I think it's much more. It's about embedding what we do in the operating framework of organizations so they're smarter and faster. Um, and therefore, you can't deny needing what we do, whether you're um, a company that is going to differ differentiate itself on having better experiences than your competitors, or whether you're Ryanair in, 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 in Europe that is gonna differentiate itself by low costs, but, and have a real crappy experience. Um, they need customer experience as much as Nordstrom does, because they have to understand and cater to the needs of customers to deliver on their value prop. And you can't do that without customer experience. So if I could, if I could uh, paraphrase, um, it's not about the experience you're delivering to your customers today. It's about the engine, the systems, the mechanisms you have to, to continue to evolve as your customers' needs evolve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you think about it, um, the, the, the organizations that differentiate themselves aren't doing it in a moment in time. And the, some, that do, some that do it in a moment of time, sure, but they don't, they're not successful. The ones that are successful is the ones that adapt, right? Whatever your model is, whatever your value prop is, it has to be right for you in that moment. And you have to deliver against it, given the fact that there are human beings in the, in the mix that have changing points of view all the time. Um, so yeah, it's the system. I've always believed that what we want to aim for, and we're not there yet, but like, like, this is not like, <laughs> I'm decades in and I'm still, I, we're getting there and I'm still on the same, this is the same story I was doing 10 years ago and 20, you know, 15 years ago, whenever, but it's about how we embed what we do in the system of organizations, because if we don't, then we're always sitting on the side and it drives me crazy when people say, well, should we invest in customer experience or something else? That's a stupid question to me. You should invest mm. in customer experience to improve everything else. Yeah, but well, well said, yep. Well, so then, then that same CEO um, will invariably ask, and, and you were talking about investments just now, um, how do, but how am I going to get a ROI on CX? Because I'm going to have to be able to make that case for the executive team or the, or the board of directors. Yeah. Well, so, um, you know, depends who I'm talking, if, if I'm like a, if I'm talking to a CEO, yeah, right. The, they understand agility, right. Especially in difficult times, right. How do you pick up signals faster? How are you going to learn faster? Right. I can make an argument there. Um, which is probably the biggest return you're going to get, right? Can you pivot your, your business model and your offerings fast enough to capture opportunities and avoid sort of risks associated with a shifting market out there? So that's one thing, right? Um, but then it's like, okay, people go, what's the practical ROI, right? How do I show the ROI? And the... Um, you know, the, the, the most standard way is just 
you know, the simple story of um, if you look, the customers who you deliver more appropriate experiences to tend to be more loyal than those that you don't, right? So let's look at that. Let's look at the, create some measurement of the experience. It could be net promoter score, and I've dropped a bomb on that one recently, um, to be satisfactory, could be whatever North Star you have that determines what experience is. And look at what's the loyalty against whatever measures you have against that. They buy more, they cost less, um, they, you, you retain more of them, whatever, B2B, they, they're more likely, they, they become a reference accounts, whatever it, whatever it is, right? And then you start to say, okay, we have this model of understanding of the people who have a good experience are worth more to us than those that haven't, right? In whatever measures you have. And then you can say, okay, we're now going to say, if we can move some of the people who have had a bad experience and have a low level of loyalty to us, to a different group, a group that has had a good experience and therefore will be more loyal to us, then the ROI is associated with all of that increased loyalty we get from moving people from that one low experience level to that other experience level. And in net promoter score, it would be, what's the value we get when we move detractors to passives and passives to promoters? Um, and so anything we can invest in our systems that moves people to those areas, then we get value because in almost every environment you look at, there a passive is going to be more valuable to you than a, a detractor, and a promoter is going to be more valued to you to you than a passive. So what's what's the the totality of the value we create by moving a percentage of our customers into those more loyal categories? Yeah, and can I, can I um, piggyback on that a little bit? Absolutely. I, I recently. Um had um, a podcast on my podcast, Dr. Peter Fader from the Wharton School. I don't know if you know him. Yep. Yeah. And so he's, you know, he's one who studies the lifetime value of a customer and recently wrote a book called The Customer Base Audit, um, which is which is saying basically don't treat all customers the same, little contrarian, um, and looking at, you know, the highest value customers, breaking them by breaking them down by deciles. And I think people misunderstand his message a lot and think, well, that's not democratic. That's not right. You know, you should treat all customers well. And and um, those no, of you, who, no. those of you who are listening, can't see, but Bruce had two thumbs up. So so j jump jump in on that a little. I know I'm going a little off tangent to, from the original question, but if you don't mind diving into that a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, no. Um, and any company that treats customers equally um, doesn't understand their business model. Um, so we, we, you inherently have to treat customers differently, um, unless, unless you are a government or some mandated organization that, that structurally has to, yeah. uh, and that's for a couple of reasons. One is that, so I, one of the fundamental beliefs that I have that drives how I, there's a bunch of them that I have, right? So I'll, I'll expose some over time, right? I think about, I don't know if you watch NCIS, um, but, um, 
the, the main guy there has his own set of rules and they show up in different episodes. Oh yeah, that's law 72 or that's rule 22, uh, uh, right? Gotcha. Uh, but I end up having a bunch of, one of them, one of my, my core beliefs is that every decision, everything, every piece of advice I need to give, I have to do it with an understanding that the organizations have constrained resources. It's a law of constrained resources, mm-hmm. meaning you can't talk about what good and bad is. You have to talk about how do you make priorities in a world where you have constrained resources. So with that in mind, you have a set of customers. If you treat them all equally, it will mean that there are a set of customers that are more valuable to you that if you invested more in them, they would behave in ways that are more positive for you, right? So by definition, you are under-investing in them. And you are over-investing in customers where that level of investment isn't driving any part of return. And someone might say, well, that's good. Everyone gets equal thing. But let's think about airplanes. Let's think about the airline industry, mm-hmm. right? Um, the One of the ways in which airline industries can keep um, some of their fears low is because they end up having a better experience that they charge more for, for their better customers. They invest a lot more in their better customers, their business travelers who are going to buy first class, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But what that does, it allows them to then have a much lower price for the low end um, traveler who has high price um, 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 has a high um, price threshold, right? Okay. And so by treating people differently, it actually can help the people who aren't necessarily their most targeted audience because they can strip away elements. Um, and, and if you took a, and I mentioned Ryanair in, in the past, right? Ryanair is an airline completely focused on low cost, pretty much set up so that people can get to and from Ireland. Hmm. Get home, visit your friends, your family in the UK, visit your family now, maybe in Brazil or wherever they're flying. Um, Now, if they didn't have a very clear focus on who they're trying to serve, then they try to serve everyone, right? And the people who wanted to have all the, all the, the, uh, the nice things that other airlines have, they'd start to try and serve them equally and it wouldn't work. So my thing is in what's really important in this field is understanding what's your value proposition and therefore understanding who your target audiences are and you need to disproportionately invest, disproportionately understand and disproportionately serve the customers that fit your value, um, even at the even even at the horribleness of underserving those that aren't your target audience. Yeah. So there's there's a lesson in there for y'all, and I I try to pull the gems out um, in in these conversations. And one one there is that you know just echoing not all 
customers should be treated the same, but this law of Bruce's law of constraints, uh, we have constrained yeah. resources <laughs> and, and we, we, um, the benefit of it is if we if we really provide the value to the top and top value customers, it will allow us to serve other people um, that that can also come along for the ride, even though they might got may not get the same exact level of service. They might be okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I think they may not know it, but they will be. Like I, I, I my other law is that um, one of my other laws is that uh, customers are really good at telling you what they don't like, what doesn't work, but they're not good designers. Meaning, you know, you may have uh, customers that like, let's take, keep the plane metaphor going, right? You go into a plane, someone might go, ah, boy, it really stinks that I'm not getting served that great meal up front and my seat's a little bit tighter, right? I hate that. They're treating me horrible. Oh, you should fix that. Well, you know what? Maybe we could fix that for you, but would you fly with us if we were charging you $400 more for your ticket? The answer for that is probably no. So we have to be somewhat benevolent with our customers and recognize that they're not going to understand all the constraints associated with treating them equally too, right? So they may not understand the trade-off between Yes, we could treat everyone equally, but you would probably choose not to fly with us because we'd be too expensive for you. Nice. Yeah. So, so Bruce, to the same CEO, um, what, why might they need, why may they need a CX professional's help uh, rather than just say, yeah, I read the book. I heard you talk. I heard someone else talk. Um, we, we understand customer service, you know, wh- why do I need a, a CX professional's help? Well, um, why do you, um, sort of offload your accounting? Why do you offload your accounting to an engineer instead of a CPA? Um, why do, why, if, why do you have like higher HR professionals instead of sort of your, um, the barkeep at your local pub? to handle your HR issues, right? Um, customer experience, doing this work requires a set of skills and capabilities. Um, and there are professionals who have trained and learned how to do it. Now, in any of those fields I mentioned, yes, you can try and do it yourself. And yes, you can do it with a, you know, a random person or reading a book, but you're always better off having someone who's learned and mastered the craft. Um, And, you know, going back to the CXPA, one of the reasons we created the CXPA is because we had a belief that there is a professional craft, that there is a set of disciplined activities that you get better at by doing, right? You can master them over time and that you can add value, more value to an organization if you've mastered those skills than if you haven't. So um, yes, you can read a book and do some of the stuff yourself, um, but the same way I wouldn't trust my accounting books to an untrained accounting professional. Um, I wouldn't sort of uh, trust my customer experience work to an untrained, inexperienced, customer experience 
person. Okay. Well, th- thank you for sharing that. That's um, it's a, it's a question that, that comes up in different ways, shapes and forms. Uh, even, even to this day, even though after all the, the great groundwork that you and others have laid, but the question still comes up. And, and I think there are a lot of leaders that either don't know about it or think they know about it and then think they can, they can avoid it or something. Just, I actually think one of the things that I've seen that's interesting is I, I don't have a problem. Like to me, I don't, that's not an issue that I, I, I see a lot of or care about a lot of because I think if there's an executive that believes they can read a book and start it, good, go start it, right? Like, I'm not going to get in your way. Go start it because you'll start it, you'll, you'll get a taste of it and you realize, you know, we don't really know what we're doing. Yeah. And so I, I think that even that motion is good motion for the industry, right? Because, you know, you'll start, you'll figure out, you go, oh, this is good, but we can't figure out how to do this. Then you go, all right, now I understand because experientially that I need a CX professional. So I think you get there anyway. You know, and is that, does that, that reminds me of when you, when you were the Temkin group and you were coming up with all this research and you were freely, you organization were freely pushing out information that I thought was very valuable. You were sharing models. Um, you were sharing models for, uh, for and frameworks for how to run a CX practice. And to me, you know, it, it seems like what you were just talking about is, well, if I give them a taste, they're going to want more. Yeah, no, I, I've been, um, so I've been trying to help shape and mold the industry and the discipline and the profession. Um, and that's been my primary goal. Like I, you know, my wife, Karen was partners at Temkin Group and she'll tell you like, she was the disciplined one, right? I, I wanted to give everything away for free. I, I literally did. Um, I, you know, we, we, ultimately we had to charge enough so that we could pay our employees, right? And that was sort of the, the drive. But um, I felt like that for me, I cared about the profession and knew inherently that if the profession grows, there's opportunity for me and everyone else, right? Um, that what we're doing here is so big, right? I don't even think we have a, I, I, I don't even think we have a taste of it yet, right? What we're doing is so big and ultimately so important that why would you constrain what you're doing to try and grab a little bit of it now? Um, and I do have to say, I have to do a little shout out to Qualtrics, right? So um, my company was acquired in 2018 by Qualtrics. And the one of the key reasons that we did it is to have the opportunity to amplify our voice. And so now even the things that I used to have to charge for, we give away for free. Um, and so now it's like everything we do, we give away for free. Um, and, and that's, that's because you just, you have to, you have to have a point of view on where the market's going and what role you want to have in that. And for me, it's always been, I see a, at least a decade in front of us of really important work that professionals in the field will participate in. Um, and so I feel no personal need 
to capture value in any near term, right? I'll probably be 90 years old and still saying the same thing, right? I'll capture it some point in the future. But um, I, I think that there's, you know, as, as politicians, I think I've got, I think maybe it was um, Ronald Reagan who said that um, uh, our, the, our better years are ahead of us, right? And I believe that even in our field that we've just started to touch on the value we can create. And I know it feels challenging for all customer experience professionals. I know like you were, you, you've been in a bank trying to move that you know, organization. We all have seen that, but we're making progress. Uh, and the good news is that organizations need us. They need what we do um, and they recognize it slowly over time, so. Hmm. Well, that, that's an optimistic message. And uh, when you say organizations, organizations are made up of humans, right? And so um, I would like to talk a little bit um, as, we, as we come to kind of the last uh, section of our discussion today about the human experience. And I've got to tell a little story. I hope it's okay um, about oh, you, yeah. about you and, and the human experience. And um, we, 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 I had the uh, pleasure of having dinner with Bruce and his wife and my wife, Amanda, in Boston one time. And he, and he recommended this Italian restaurant. Um, and we got there and we had a little bit of weight, I think, for the table. And Bruce says, come with me. Um, they make all fresh seasoning and vegetables here. And guess what? They grow it right out back. So literally, we walked out of the restaurant and walked around the corner and Bruce is pointing out all the different and he had, a, had someone from the restaurant show us the different vegetables and seasonings and everything that was going to go into our meal. So what a way to experience this dining event um, at this restaurant changed the whole experience by having this insight, knowing that the food was fresh and it was so much thought and care and love went into the meal. So with that as a as a as a lead in if you do you remember that story bruce oh yeah oh yeah i remember the rest of them. <laughs> and um and but but now i'm thinking about the human experience right there's a lot of human experience involved in that both from the standpoint of us as as uh pat patrons of the restaurant but also the, the guy who took us out there and then all the people who served us and then the meal from end to end but we've heard these terms and you're 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 We've heard these terms now from uh, customer experience uh, to EX, you know, employee experience, business experience, total experience, human experience, like all these words. Can you help sort this out for, for people who may be a, a little confused about what all this means? Yeah. So um, I don't know if I'll sort it out, but I'll give you my point of view. Yeah. Right? I had a revelation probably eight, six or eight years ago, maybe close to six about what we did, what, and this was when we were 10, what do we do, right? Great, mm -hmm. we do customer experience, what do we do? Um, and what I realized is what we do is help people, help organizations understand human beings and then, and then understand those, how those human beings think, feel, and behave in different environments and how they respond to different environments, whether they're customers, employees, leaders. And so for us, it's been, 
really, how do we deepen our understanding of a single human being? Because if we understand a single human being, then we can understand how human beings in general act and behave. So that's how we've been thinking about like what we do. Um, and then, so if you do that and then you apply it in different fields, right? The understanding of how people think and feel and then how you design experience, then you can take that to customers and call it customer experience. You can take that to employees and call it employee experience. You take it to patients and call it patient experience. Um, but because of that focus on, on, on individual people and human beings, we started to really think deeply around what does experience really mean from a human being? And when you start thinking about it, you realize that people have three, human beings have three operating systems, right? They have three operating systems. They have their, um, their emotions, how they, how they feel, right? They have how they, how their physiological um, system, right? That's, that's keeps them alive and does all that. And then the third system is their IO, right? How they interface with the world, right? You can think about it as mind, body, and experience because the, the way they interface with the world is through experience, right? So experience is the IO system of a human being, right? The way we influence the rest of the world is by creating experiences, right? The way that we actually sort of have other other parts whether they're customers or is experience so like experience i think of it it's the io the operating system of a human being and so it's so absolutely central to everything that anyone needs to do and so i even take that further and say okay if we if we if we buy into that then it organizations ultimately the only thing they do is create experiences, right? Ultimately, every organization at the end of what it's trying to do is trying to create an experience for a human being. You follow the chain anywhere, you end up there, right? The purpose of an organization is to create experiences, right? Um, and so you start looking at going, well, if you know you, you put your mind in a different mode and you go well then everything that we do everything in the world is just about experiences um and just about human experiences um and that's what makes it so exciting right i don't think the world yet understands how profound it is to have a group of professionals that are solely focused on experience which is so fundamental to human beings and to every organization. Hmm. Wow. Well, that there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> but we're... Yeah, I always say you can ask me a simple question, but you might get a long sort of complex response. So um, what what do you think? Like, I think this is helpful. You mentioned earlier, I think learning at the very top, you talked about learning. You'd love to learn. And and love and and I know I I learn the most from my mistakes and of which I make many, but what do you think are some maybe the most or some of the most common mistakes that companies make 
in their CX journey, those who have attempted one? Well, I, I think that they, um, they, they lose common sense, right? I, I think that's a big one. I, I see that across the board, right? You start overly focusing on weird structured surveys to get weird data that no one quite understands and you make weird decisions. Um, and and mm-hmm. you forget that you just go out and talk to a handful of customers and listen to what they say, like, like common sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one. I think people lose their common sense. I think uh, another thing they do, and we meant talked talked on a little earlier, which is they trying to treat every customer the same is a mm-hmm. recipe for disaster um, because it it means you're not going to learn because if 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 we just let's say we're an organization and we have six different types of customers, let's say we have there are six personas of customers that have different needs, different requirements. If we don't recognize that up front and operate in that mode, then we're not going to understand the signals we're getting. We're not going to design appropriate um, experiences for their journeys, right? Just everything breaks down if we don't start with the fundamental understanding that we're going to have some sets of customers that have different needs and we need to treat differently. Um, and so that's another thing that mistake people make. Um, And then I would say the last one I'll put on the list is that um, they forget why we're doing what we're doing. Ultimately, we're we're doing what we're doing to help our organizations operate in a better way than they're operating today. And so if we're not, if, if you're a customer experience professional and you're just trying to bring insights to the organization without helping the organization figure out how to absorb and behave differently and use those, then you're not going to be successful. And that's, that's a recipe for disaster. Well, not necessarily that you can last a long time in that mode, but you're not going to be the change agent you want to be. Because ultimately I, even like if I do a workshop, I measure, I, I tell everyone my success. I don't care whether you love or like the workshop. Obviously it's great if you do, what I care about is next week when you go to work, are you going to do something differently next week when you go to work based on what you're learning with me here? That's to me is a measure of success. That's where we make mistakes, which was we don't hold ourselves to a standard of making sure that our organizations operate differently based on what we do. And so we need to focus much more on action, less on data and analysis. So another gem there, uh, if, you're not, if you're not getting the success you, you hope for, focus more on action, less on, on just the data and the numbers and the VOC reporting. Good call out. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Bruce. I have so enjoyed our time together um easily could could do two or three more of these but i know our time's coming to a close um if and th- first before i before i say uh, goodbye and ask people how they can reach you i just want to say a big thank you uh thank you going back to when i first started over a decade ago thank you to all the cx professionals thank you for creating the cxpa um way back when and for all the work you're doing with the for the xm institute i will in the show notes include links for for anyone listening who wants to 
get some of that free information that Bruce talked about or learn more about CX in general. But I just wanted to uh, give you a big thank you as we're in the month of Thanksgiving here as this is being recorded. Thank you so much, Bruce. Well, thank you, Mark. It's always a pleasure talking to you. You know, I I, um, I love any interaction with you and um, this podcast has been fun. Everyone should listen to all the rest of your podcasts. Mark knows what he's doing. Um, and so uh, great to learn from you. And uh, thanks for inviting me. Thanks. Thanks. And if people want to get a hold of you, best way? Um, XMInstitute.com. And also, I think, follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I do sort of every once in a while do very controversial things on LinkedIn. So it's a good place to follow me uh, and see what I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah, that's a good teaser. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much again, Bruce, for being on the show. All right, Mark. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I want to ask if you would do two things. One is hit subscribe or follow if you like the episode. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss a single episode. And if you've gotten something out of this, share it with someone. Make sure they have access to all this content and all the other great content that's coming up. You can find any links to the show or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.